That, my friends, was the smooth styling of Brad Henderson. Oh, yeah. Now, we are starting off here with the podcast for the weekend of February 27th, 2022. That weekend, Darren is going to be looking at Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. But before we dive into looking at that particular passage, I want to take a minute to introduce a guest. We have a guest here on our podcast. Jeff Elkins. Wow. Welcome. Honored. Thank you so much. I'm... Delighted, a little nervous to be in your presence because this is high cotton here. <laughs> I have, uh, it, actually, I do have, uh, the one time in my life I sat on a panel, um, this is with uh, Ed Stetzer and Jeff Orge and me. Dude. I okay. was right. <laughs> Sounds right. That's, that, that, that's very fitting because. So <laughs> they were brilliant and you heard a lot of from my side of the table. Either that or or you were challenging people to dive deep into intimacy with God through worship. Because you always you, do. Thank Come you. on, man. <laughs> you, you brought the anchor, you brought the the, the theological anchor for for their souls while they could <laughs> while they could contemplate intellectual things about missiology. Yeah, they didn't remember my name, so that's okay. <laughs> Ouch. Okay. So um, we have Jeff on the podcast this today to talk about specifically something that he's started off. So Jeff, would you mind sharing a little bit about the, the Spotify list that you've created and what its goal is for us as we think about preparing to worship? Thanks, Dave. Marissa. Yeah, it's, uh, it's the Spotify list that, we, that I'll refresh every Monday and you'll find on Facebook or Instagram. Just follow the links. If you have any trouble, call the office. We'll, we'll get you to connect. Um, but it's a great tool to help us know what's happening for Sunday. All my life, I've gone to church, and I show up, and you know I'm not ready. I'm just receiving it. And if I had time to practice or listen, uh, it just makes my intimate time with the Lord much, much better. So I encourage everyone to take advantage of it, whether you're a musician or not. I'm doing it. You know, I'm supposed to do it, but this helps me prepare for worship every week. And uh, boy, when Sunday comes, uh, I know the songs. And you know what? As I'm leading, I'm hearing children singing extremely loud <laughs> every word of some pretty intense hymns. So I thank you, parents, for uh, having having kids listen at home and learn and prepare for worship. So I'm I'm happy to do that. Find that on Facebook or Instagram and and prepare for worship. Love it. I absolutely love it. As a former worship leader, man, if you can get people to engage and sing with worship, woo, that's good 100%. stuff. Love it. Well, thank you. Thank you, Jeff. You're so welcome. I look forward to seeing that and to continuing to listen to that and prepare for worship. Thank you, Dave. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 10 as we transition, looking at a very familiar parable. Um, if you remember from last week, Darren started off for this next part of Simply Jesus of this series. We're looking at three series of parables. Last week we looked at one. Today we're going to look at the parable of the Good Samaritan. Next week we're going to look at a, a, a pairing of three parables, actually. So I guess that would be a triplet. It would. 
So, yay. Perhaps a triptych. A triptych. There you go. I like it. (laughs) Uh, So with that, Marissa is going to read the text for us from Luke chapter 10, and then we'll dive into the content. All right. Luke 10, 25 through 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hand of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So there's a lot going on in the passage. It's a very familiar passage to a lot of us. And so as we dive in, Marissa, what, what are some initial observations that you have? Well, um, the very first thing is the word neighbor. Um, it can be translated and interpreted in lots of different ways. We always try to, excuse me. <laughs> um, in Hebrew, the word neighbor is rea. And in its very simplest, strictest sense, it means someone who is near you. One who's near you could be a friend, but most likely it wouldn't be an enemy. And when we tend to pay the closest attention uh, we, to those who make us feel comfortable, when we, when we surround ourselves with other people, we want to feel comfortable. People who look like us, who think like us, this is how we would like to define who a neighbor is. Um, in fact, if you look at our neighborhoods today, how we kind of set up our city and our states, when you look down your street, you'll probably find people who largely look and think like you, who might even have the same voting records. It's stereotypical, but it's true that like a family who lives in Midtown is probably gonna share a lot of cultural values with other families in Midtown more so than they would someone in West Tulsa or South Tulsa or or North Tulsa. So it's something that we still do today. We choose to move within communities um, that that look like us. And this is one of the reasons why our nation is so polarized, uh, why we have such a hard time understanding people who are different than us, um, understanding other points of view. But it comes from a very natural place that we want to be with people who make us comfortable. Uh, We want our neighbors to be like us. So within this parable, uh, Jesus is expanding the idea of a neighborhood. Um, The neighborhood of God is anything but homogeneous. It's this beautiful tapestry of different ethnicities and cultures. And Jesus is opening the door to the understanding that the kingdom of God will be beautiful but at times it's going to be awkward and there's going to be uh, stretch marks from those growing pains. Um, and as God expands his family, it's going to be hard and messy, but it's holy and it's necessary. And the biggest barrier that Jesus understood to uh, expanding that kingdom of God, that neighborhood of God is trust. 
uh, trust between the Jewish people and the Samaritans, between oppressor and oppressed, um, trust between the tax collectors and the other people. Um, so Jesus was teaching us to move from thinking about the other as an enemy and not just to tolerate them, which is kind of like the, oh, okay, I'll be kind to them, but to move even f- further into love. And love means to make that enemy your brother, to make them a member of your family. I, I'm still blown away earlier in, in what you said. You, you called a neighborhood a tapestry hmm. and how God is, is weaving together this, this beautiful tapestry. What, what a beautiful picture yes, uh, yeah. of what God wants to do and, and what, what a powerful image that, that was evoked through this passage. Mm-hmm. Um, as we looked at this and as we dove deep into some, some content with it, as I was doing research, I, I was uh, something new that I learned was that, that Jews in antiquity wouldn't have had a problem with thinking about Gentiles in general as neighbors, as some maybe far off neighbors, mm-hmm. but as people that they interacted with on a regular basis. It was the Samaritans in particular that they had a particular angst against. Sure, there there sure. was a little bit more polarization there. And so as as Jesus started sharing this, he was pressing up against that particular issue. Um Early in the passage, as as Jesus started engaging with with this man, I found it fascinating that that this man, versus later on in Luke, you see a lot of lawyers that are coming up to Jesus that are intentionally trying to poke Jesus, to provoke Jesus, to maybe catch Jesus in a trap. Here, this guy is somewhat genuine. He's asking legitimate sure. questions. Hey, what what do I need to do? How how do I justify myself before God? And as he asks these questions trying to be introspective, but, but very selfishly looking just at himself, at what he needs to do, Jesus challenges him to dive deeper and maybe even challenges him with a story that, that may have been real. Um, one of the, the scholars that I read suggested that this that the story of the Good Samaritan might have actually been a real event that happened in real history that, that would have been a present image in people's minds. And so as Jesus had this conversation, rather than just simply being some fictitious parable, that there was some truth to it that, that would have resonated with people. But as you look through the, the series of three, the, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, um, you know, I've heard lots of sermons uh, about, <laughs> about that all over the map. Um, was there anything that you learned that was new that stood out from, from those three and what they did? Sure. Well, uh, it, just the case of the Samaritan, um, just like you said, this was not just another Gentile. This was a very specific uh, race of people that um, the animosity between the Jewish people and the Samaritans stretched back all the way back to the Babylonian exile, right? The, the, the Samaritans were a group of people who were left behind when people were taken from Judea to Babylon. And the rift began when the, uh, the, the exiles came back and started to rebuild the temple. The Samaritans had been there all along. They had intermarried. They had introduced other cultural and religious practices into their worship of Yahweh. So the exiles saw the Samaritans Samaritans as unclean and defiled now. And so they rejected them from temple worship and from rebuilding the temple. So that excitement at their returned brothers coming home, rebuilding the temple, turned into intense hatred. Um, And that rift continues to today. I think it's really interesting that there's still Samaritans. We don't really think about that. There's still Samaritans living in the West Bank, about 800 of them. Wow. And that animosity exists even today. Um, so so the, the, it's a fascinating story. Uh, uh, to make it uh, short, a fascinating story short, <laughs> these, the Samaritans were viewed as villains and blasphemers, and uh, that hatred was mutual um, for, for many very real reasons. 
Um, if you want to look back to the beginning of that story, you can look at Chronicles and Ezra and Nehemiah. But during this time when Jesus was teaching, um, it was an especially violent time between Samaritans and Judeans and, uh, and Jewish people. Um, there was, a, a, in 128 BC, there was a Judean army that destroyed the temple of the Samaritans. Uh, the Samaritans um, retaliated by uh, desecrating the temple in Jerusalem. And right around the time when Jesus is telling this parable, there was a group of Jewish pilgrims who were massacred when they were traveling from Galilee to, to uh, Jerusalem. So even if, like you said, it might have been a true story, um, even if there uh, wasn't a literal historical Good Samaritan, these were um, situations that were occurring. They were situations that were taken, or it was a parable that was taken from from real activities, real events. Um, when Luke speaks more about the Samaritans than any other gospel writer, uh, he tells the story of the Samaritan uh, woman at the well. He tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And it really shows what Luke's emphasis was in writing the gospel, and that was to teach um, the the Jewish people that the gospel is for all people. It's expanding those borders. Um, that it was the story or the, uh, the gospel for the Gentile, gospel for the Samaritans, and um, that this was a very intentional exclusion, um, bringing the Samaritans back into God's family where they so longed to be. Jeff, do you have anything that you want to throw in, anything that, that as we read through it that stood out to you that was different than, than what you've heard before or, or anything that jumped out from the text? No, I'm fascinated with uh, the, the history, and it, it, it paints a, a, great, a great picture of hatred and, and division between people. That it's, it, you know, sometimes it's a, a distant story, a distant Bible story, and that makes it real, and, and then uh, applicable to us today, it's really easy to paint that same picture. Mm-hmm. The neighborhood picture was really interesting for me too. And you're absolutely right. You know, we kind of we kind of hang out with people we we identify with, right? And it's comfortable. It's easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and avoid. And it's not that we don't like people from the west side or the east side or whatever. But uh, you, you're right. We do. You gravitate into our own little circles. So no, fascinating. I'm just. Uh, I'm taking it in. Good job, Marissa. <laughs> I, so as I, as I dove deep into looking at the three and looking at, within the Greek text, mm-hmm. I thought it was fascinating. The priest simply walked by. He was he was leaving service from from his duty as serving at the temple in Jerusalem. The Levite probably was was coming from that same round of service. Was probably following closely, but the Levite in particular stopped and got really really close to the guy. Hmm before he left and moved on. So the Greek text suggests that there, there was a little bit more intentional looking and getting in close versus the priest simply just walked on the other side and walked straight around. Mm-hmm. The Levite was, was a little more curious, but then kept going. And it was the Samaritan who stopped, who saw, just as the other two saw, then had compassion, that the Greek word splachna that we've talked about a couple of times, the, the gut word, the, 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 the emotions, the reaction to, to what happens. Uh, the same thing that Jesus did in in Matthew 9:36, when he saw the crowds and had compassion because they were sheep without a shepherd, the same thing that that Peter did in Acts chapter three, that, that when he saw the man who um, that was sit, crippled, that was sitting by the gate there, that, that he healed him, he saw him and had compassion on him, and then he acted. So, so the Samaritans saw hmm. this guy, had compassion, and acted. 
And I noticed the repetition of several words throughout the passage that was equally profound. You know, several times the question is asked that Greek word poiemo, what must I do? Um, the, in Jesus' response, you, you continually practice these things. You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he explains what that is. And at the very end, again, that, that word poiemo comes back. The man said, the one who was doing compassion or mm -hmm. acting with compassion. Again, that word came up. Um, it was a variant. Instead of splachna, it was a word for that's only used here in the New Testament, but also meant compassion or mercy. El Eleo or Eleos or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but either way, the, the sense of compassion runs throughout that, that we're called to, to notice people, to look with compassion, to act with compassion. And compare and contrast that to this man who, who is genuinely seeking God, genuinely seeking him out as a teacher, um, was acting in such a way that he was looking to preserve himself. Hmm. He was looking to justify himself. And then you have the Samaritan, who is completely opposite of that, who is thinking otherly and, and thinking from another perspective, how can I invest in other people? I think that's a powerful picture for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that, that the idea that the Levite did take notice and maybe felt a pang of, of pity for the guy, but then kept moving, that it takes that extra step of action to make it compassionate. Um, if Darren were here, I'm sure he'd want us to talk about uh, the definition of the word love. Um, his favorite definition yes. is to will and work towards someone's best interest. So love is more than just an emotion. It's it's an intentional movement towards goodness. It's an active word. It's it's work. Um, and when we look at this greatest commandment, uh, which the the teacher of the law knew very very well, this was not new information to him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Um, as Christians, just as the, uh, the Jewish people that Jesus was talking to, we seem to have a proclivity towards one or the other. Mm. We either uh, are passionate about our love for God and um, maybe more inattentive towards people, or we're very passionate about people seeking justice and, and wanting to show mercy to people, but then we may be more inattentive towards, our, uh, towards righteousness and a neglect towards a relationship with God. So Jesus is saying that both are equally important. We must love and empathize and walk in the ways of justice, but we have to be tethered to God and our love for righteousness. So something that you might want to ask in your community groups um, is which of these two commands do you have, uh, do you tend to neglect? Um, are you so passionate about God that you forget about others, or do you care so deeply for others that you become inattentive to your relationship with God? And that really stuck out, stuck out to me this time in reading the parable is uh, I think if we, we think of um, how we were taught this parable in Sunday school, it's that the, the priest and the Levite, it's a, it's a story of kindness and unkindness, that, that they were either too rushed or too busy or too snobby or, or too proper to stop and help, to take time to help. But it's not necessarily an issue of kindness or unkindness, but rather a proper understanding of God's priorities, that these two individuals, the priest and the Levite, put an emphasis on their passion for God and righteousness and law and were inattentive to the needs of others. According to the law, they were doing the right thing, according to their own interpretation of the law, that they were keeping themselves clean. They saw themselves as responsible for uh, keeping the connection between God and humanity open, 
through their their practices in the temple, through their rites, their liturgies, that they they saw that that was their responsibility. So even like you said, the live Levite saw with compassion the man, but he did the mental calculus and decided, no, I must keep moving. That his his uh, need to stay clean, his need to do the temple work that God had gave given him, uh, was more important than stopping to help the man. Um, so uh, that I think is a really good lesson that that the, if we're incredibly passionate about God and His righteousness, we need to remember um, that that God also wants us to stop to help others. Absolutely, yes. So we have just a little bit of time left. I think if Darren were here, he would certainly want to point out the good Baptist fact that there was a little bit of wine and oil that was used as medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he likes poured to... Poured out, not consumed. Yes, poured out, not consumed. <laughs> but but um, Luke, as the doctor, actually used that as a typical medical practice, just literally recording fact that those were household items that were available probably in most homes. And he mixed them together. That was a common practice to use as some sort of uh, salve to, mm-hmm. to help bring healing. But he probably would poke the bear a little bit there. Yeah, we're not endorsing it. Uh, we're not endorsing any alternative medical practices necessarily. Please seek the advice of your physician. <laughs> there you uh, go. <laughs> There's our disclaimer for the day. Um, any final thoughts before we wrap up? I think that we too often read this um, from the perspective of maybe the the priest, maybe the Levi, maybe even the traveler, and we forget to read it from the perspective of the Samaritan. Um, that. Uh, there's a deeper meaning here that if we are the traveler, uh, uh, the help we receive from the hated Samaritan is like this unexpected grace of God that rescues us from from death, um, and, and that's a, a common idea. Um, but if we read the parable from the perspective of the Samaritan, the Samaritans long to be part of the family of God. They longed to be part of Israel again and were rejected from community. They wanted to worship God um, and be given dignity and respect, but they were called Jew. Uh, I'm sorry, they were called dogs by the Jewish people. And yet, even though they viewed themselves as the oppressed and the hated, the good Samaritan in this parable is willing to lift the man who hates him into his arms um, and care for him as if he's a brother. Uh, notice the 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 traveler is not active in this story at all. Um, there is no way that the Samaritan might know that um, uh, the, the man will view him in any better light because of this. It's a completely selfless act um, to care deeply, to give our time and resources to all, even those who openly hate us. This was a favorite parable of Dr. King, um, and I really, really like where he took this parable to another step. He says that we're called to play the Good Samaritan on life's roadside, but that will only be an initial act. One day we must come to see that the whole Jericho Road must be transformed so that men and women will not be constantly beaten and robbed as they make their journey on life's highway. And so I just love that picture that Jesus came to restructure the entire road. Mm-hmm. Boy, what a beautiful picture. Goodness. I, I love how how so much of Luke is recorded while traveling in a journey. And mm-hmm. so here Jesus uses this parable in a journey, and typically Jesus tries to place the, the hearer in, in, the, in the position where they're along for the journey, they're along for the, the, the walk with mm-hmm. Jesus. And so reading it from the perspective of the Samaritan, I think, is incredibly important for us. Mm-hmm. I hadn't thought of that. That's, yeah. that's And if beautiful. you think about the audience of Jesus, there probably were a few Samaritans mixed in there. So it's a lesson for everyone. Absolutely. Jeff, any final thoughts? No, thanks for letting me hang with you. I learned a lot and uh, really thought-provoking on the greatest command, 
how often I drop the neighbor at the mm-hmm. end of that and lean on the heart, soul, mind, strength, mm-hmm. and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Uh, and who is our neighbor? You know, is it the guy next to me or is everyone I see mm-hmm. my neighbor? And I see it as everybody I see mm-hmm. as a neighbor. Yes. So thank you for that, Marissa. Dave, I appreciate being with you guys. Hey, thank you again so much for popping in. We'll have to have you come in again sometime. I'm always good for entertainment value. Mm -hmm. Jeff, you are a joy. And we remember your name, too. Thank you. That's (laughs) right. Thank you. Can we we give you the the honorary title, Dr. Jeff? Uh, You better not. Okay. You better not. <laughs> People get in trouble for that. Uh-oh. You get in trouble. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I do want to check out the stats, though, see if your viewership went down after this week. So. I highly doubt. I bet they went up. I bet they spiked. <laughs> I'll tell my mom the, to listen. The ever-popular <laughs> Jeff Elkins. Thank you so much. So just a reminder, starting February 27th in community groups, you'll, you'll probably want to have some conversations about this because that's what Darren will be talking about on Sunday morning. But we're also starting the new community group series called Tell Someone where we're going to be exploring the gospel message, how we can share our faith with other people, what that looks like for us to initiate conversations and to begin praying for people with the goal of us ultimately leading everyone in our community groups to prepare for Easter Sunday and having gospel conversations to invite people to church and invite people into relationship with Jesus for Easter. Mm -hmm. So with that, Uh, Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast. We look forward to seeing you back next week. Darren will be back as we dive into March and look at the next round of parables. Farewell. Goodbye. Later. 